Part four is uh, be a conqueror. Be a conqueror. Now, if you remember last week's sermon on be a peacemaker, you're going to think I'm contradicting myself, okay? You be a peacemaker with the battles that you're not supposed to fight. You be a conqueror with the battles that you are supposed to fight. And I want to tell you a little something about Goliath that I've never heard another minister ever preach, ever, ever, ever. So it may be wrong, (laughs) but I'm going to let you judge that, okay? I don't think Goliath represents our dreams or our goals or our desires. I don't think Goliath represents the things we want in life, the things that we want to fight after, the rewards that we want to earn and get. Um, it's fun to hear about David and Goliath and a preacher say, yeah, you know, never give up and, and, and go forward and always, you know, conquer the things that you want in life and stuff like that. David never prayed and never asked God to face a giant. David never woke up and said, you know what, God, I really want to be in a situation where I could die. I really want to get in a situation where I could completely be embarrassed and all kind of bad things happen. I could win. I could lose. I would love to do that. Not once did David ever do that. In fact, it says in Judges 20:16, there were 700 men that could sling a rock at a hair. Let's put it up there. 700 men who could sling a rock at a hair and not miss. In other words, there were at least in this time 700 people who could have defeated Goliath. If you study the scripture, Caleb, when he was 80 years old, he defeated two giants with his fists. I believe the giants looked scary, but I think they were very, very slow. I think that any of these soldiers could have beat them, but they didn't. I think the reason that they didn't wasn't because they couldn't, but it was because they were scared. They were fearful. So what I'm trying to teach you today is, and for the next 15, 16 minutes is this, Goliath doesn't represent the things that we want to fight. Goliath represents the things that we don't want to fight the battles that we run from. I believe Goliath represents the pride, the selfishness, the arrogance, the lust, the secret addiction, the things that have been holding us back for years, the things that we know we need to battle, the things we know we need to take care of, but we keep running from in our life. I heard somebody say one time, new level, new devil. Meaning every time God's going to take you to a new level, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a new devil that's going to come after you and hit you. I believe that Goliath represents the scary adversity that we always turn our back on and run from. In 1 Samuel 17, um, it talks about David being a faithful shepherd. David, faithful shepherd, that's how it describes him. In in chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18, it says, David, the king's son-in-law, the most successful and popular captain in the Israelite army. What happened from chapter 17 to chapter 18 that caused David to go from the lowest level he could possibly be at to such a high level that everybody in the entire nation knew his name? What took place from chapter 17 to chapter 18? Before I answer that, let me tell you this. If you're in chapter 17 today, it's okay because one chapter later, one chapter later could be your greatest promotion ever. One cha- the very next page of your life could be putting you at a place where you never thought was possible. You never thought you'd ever imagine. But what took place? How did David get from chapter 17 to chapter 18? Um, did God answer his prayers? Did God say, okay, David, you've been praying for so long, I'm just going to give you what you want. Did God um, bring David's dreams to him on a silver platter for him to just pick up and take? Did God open up a door for David to just walk through very peacefully and everything be okay? What happened to David? God loved David so much that he put him in front of the biggest adversary he could possibly find. The very thing that everybody else ran away from. The very thing that other people could have conquered, but they didn't want to deal with it. 
the anger issue, the pornography addiction, whatever it is, the thing that God's been bringing up in your life and saying, I can't get you to chapter 18 till you conquer chapter 17. You say, well, I thought if God loved me, then nothing bad would happen. I thought if I did everything right and came to church and tithed and sang and served, that nothing bad would come my way. No, because God loves you, he says, angels, I need you to find me a Goliath and put in front of my servant. I need you to find the thing that they've been running from, that they've been not wanting to deal with, the thing that they've been hiding, the thing they don't want to bring to light. I want you to bring that in front of them so when they conquer that, then I can take them from chapter 17 to chapter 18. Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors. Rick, I need you to make sure every person that comes in sits on the very back row, okay? Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors. But here's the key. You cannot be a conqueror unless you fight a battle. We can say all day long, yes, we're more than conquerors. Yes, we are victorious. Yes, God's going to cause us to win the battle. But there's never a victory. There's never the winning of a battle. And there's never being a conqueror unless you're willing to fight a fight. And so many people today, they run from things that are difficult. They run from responsibility. They run from dealing with issues. They run from one church to the next church to the next church because they don't know how to deal with getting offended. They run from one job to the next job to the next job because they don't know how to deal with submitting to authority. They run. God never, ever, ever intended for us to run from our giants. Here's the key. The giants that taunt us, they're not intended to destroy us. They're actually intended to promote us. See, so many times I think, because there's giants in my life, I need to get out of here. I need to run. I need to find somewhere that's safer. I need to get somewhere where there's peace. I can't handle this. But the giants that taunt us, the ones that constantly say, you're never going to beat me. You're never going to conquer me. You've been battling me since you were 16 years old. People have been telling you you need to overcome this, but you've just been running the whole time. Those giants, they're not intended to destroy us. They're intended to promote us. If I could tell you just personally, just being transparent, battles that I've I've fought for years, insecurity, um, uh, impatience, um, I, 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 with insecurity, I, I crave, I crave um, people telling me I'm doing a good job because I always think I'm a failure. Guilt, guilt, I never handle that biblically. It's so difficult. And here's the thing, I'm going to keep facing this Goliath until I'm willing to fight it. Every day it's going to come out and taunt me. Every day, just like Goliath came out in the morning and at the night and taunted God's people, same thing with the giants that we face. But we have to realize this giant wasn't sent to you to keep you down. It wasn't sent to you. God allowed David to face Goliath. If David had ran from Goliath, he would have been running from his destiny. If David ran from what was difficult, he'd be running from what was going to promote him. If David ran from his adversary, he'd be running from the catapult God was going to use to take him from chapter 17 to chapter 18. Pastor Pam's taught me something over the past few years. I remember two years she told me. She said, just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're not exactly where God wants you to be. Just because things are not going your way. We, we have this, I don't know why Christians have this mindset. If things aren't going my way, I should be somewhere else. <laughs> that's so misguided. When things aren't going your way, that could be a sure sign that's exactly where you're supposed to be and that's exactly something you're supposed to deal with. And it could be as easy, as easy, and it says it's easier to preach than it is to do. It could be as easy as just admitting you got a giant getting some accountability, finding people that will sharpen you and not, you know, condemn you, and then taking it to God daily, daily, daily asking God for help. I love that David said, listen, I'm not fighting you. God's got my back. God's the one that's going to help me defeat you. It's not me and my own power. 
Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. Notice it says, take up his cross daily and follow me. We all have a cross to bear. We all do. Some of us, our cross is smoking. Some of us, our cross is um, profanity. It's just a bad habit we grew up with our parents. Some of, some of us, our cross is, um, is anger issues. Some of us, our cross is lust. Some of us, our cross is, is um, bad attitude. Some of us, our cross is the, we just don't want to submit to authority. Whatever the cross, some of us, our cross is bent towards things like a homosexual lust. Uh, some of us, our cross is bent towards stealing. I, I've dealt with people with that. We all have a cross is the point. We all do. And I've discovered in life, the bigger your cross, the bigger your destiny. The bigger your giant, the bigger your destiny. David had an incredible destiny, but he also had an incredible giant. Um, let's look at people in the Bible. For instance, um, Noah. Noah's uh, cross, Noah's giant, was that a flood was coming to destroy the earth, and he had to build an ark with no tools and live with his own family in the ark, like relatives and stuff. That's not a good cross to bear. It's big, but his destiny was that he was going to save mankind. Moses, Job had a, Moses had a cross. Moses' cross was that he killed a man and he battled guilt for 40 years. 40 years he battled guilt. 40 years. But his destiny was he was going to lead 2 million people out of bondage and into the promised land. Um, uh, uh, Ruth. Ruth's, um, her, her cross was her husband died. She was all alone, but her destiny was to marry Boaz and be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Daniel's cross was he was thrown in a den of hungry lions and lived in a nation where people worshiped Baal. His destiny was he turned the entire nation around for God. Jesus's cross got him death, hell, and the grave. But his destiny was that you and I could live with him in heaven for all of eternity. Here's the point. Where could your giant catapult you if you would just face it head on today? Where would your cross take you if you'd be willing to pick it up and go forward in life? Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had two major problems in high school. One was my driving. I've been in over 20 wrecks before I was 18 years old, all of which were my fault. Um, my license was suspended three times before I was 19 for speeding tickets. Okay, that was bad, bad. Still working on that. Anyway, and so my other cross, my other, my other problem was I would get in fights. I would run my mouth and get in fights. And so here's how it worked when you're in high school, at least when I was in high school down here. There were the Socasty boys. We were, we were all rednecks. We had the big trucks with the whip antennas on the back, you know. We had CBs. Before there were cell phones, there were CBs. And, you know, you did, my, my handle was 007, just so y'all know. <laughs> it was. It was. Anyway, very, I was very, very cool. And... um. Anyway, so there were Saucasy boys, and there were Conway boys, and there were Myrtle Beach boys. Sometimes Aner got involved, but it wasn't a big deal. But anyway, so it was all, we were all rivals, right? We would all show up at parties, and we would all fight. You know, we would know immediately. The second we saw somebody's truck, we'd know if they were a Saucasty boy, a Myrtle Beach boy, or a Conway boy. And so one night, us Saucasty boys were going to fight some Myrtle Beach boys over at Ocean Lakes. So we all meet at you know, Ocean Lakes, and we got our trucks all lined up and the lights on, you know, so we can see everything. And, you know, it kind of starts with a little bit of trash talking. And after one punch is thrown, then everybody fights, and you probably get hit two or three times, you get maybe one or two punches in, whatever. And then someone calls the cops, and everybody scrams. So anyway, so we get out of our truck, and there was this one guy in my group, in my circle. And I'm not going to say his name because we just became friends on Facebook. And I hope he, if he's watching, I hope he's not watching today, but you can watch all the other days. But anyway, and so... 
he jumped out of the truck, and before anyone could say anything, he started talking so much major trash. I mean, he was profanity. It was just left and right. He was saying things, I'm going to slice your neck open. I'm going to put a cap in you and all this stuff. And, like, I was getting scared. I was like, dude, we were just going to get you know, just a few punches in. And I'll be honest with you, I lost most of the fights I got in in high school. I, I won, like, 10%. I'm just saying. I won 10, I probably won 15%. I won one and a half fights out of like 12 or 13. But anyway, but she was big. Anyway, and so here's, here's what I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just thought of that. That was funny. Anyway, I got to remember to say that at the next service. I need a pen or something. There's no ink in that pen. Anyway, anyway, and so, um, so anyway, so this one kid, Justin, oh man, crap. His name was Houston, not Justin. His name was Houston. And Houston gets out, and he starts talking so much trash. I'm going to slice your neck open. I'm going to put a cap in you and all this stuff. And us other guys, we're like, you know, we were getting really scared. And so somebody throws a punch, and the fight breaks out. I got sucker punched, and I'm trying to kick somebody. And out of the corner of my eye, the kid that was talking the most trash that got us in the most trouble, he turns around and runs. And as soon as someone started screaming, police, or someone's come out of their house, we're calling the police. Everybody scatters. And I'll never forget, we couldn't find uh, Houston. We couldn't find him. And so we look, and Houston's crouched down behind a bush at the neighbor's house, right? And I'll never forget, as long as I live, I'll never forget it. We were like, dude, what are you doing? And he says this. He's like, man, I dropped my cigarettes right when the fight dug out. I tried to find them. And we were like, you dropped them in behind a bush next to the neighbor's house? Like, here's the point. A lot of Christians, they come to church and they talk the talk and they worship and they want to be promoted and they want God to do great things and they're willing to fight the battles when they see a great reward and when they see something they want and they want, but when it comes to the fights that God wants you to battle, you can talk the talk, but you got to be willing to walk the walk. You got to be willing to stand there and say, I don't care how many times I get punched. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how embarrassing it is. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. If it takes 10 years of my life, I'm going to fight until I win the battle. That's what a conqueror does. In Ephesians 6, it says to put on the whole armor of God. It says we're fighting against spirits of evil. Just so you know, whenever there's controversy with you and your boss or coworker, it's not between people. It's all about, for lack of a better word, inner demons. It's all about the inner demons. That's a, kind of a secular term, but it's, it's real for what we're talking about. The giants that God wants us to fight are our own inner demons. It says we're fighting against spirits of evil. It says to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of peace, the belt of truth, on and on. Here's the one I want you to see. The armor that God gives us to fight, there is not one piece of armor that covers your backside. Not one. It's like one of those hospital gowns, you know, you can picture somebody. Where, I mean, don't picture somebody. I mean, you know. Picture your spouse. I mean, don't even do that. Picture yourself right now wearing a hospital. Don't picture anybody wearing a hospital gown. There's no back to it, okay? The back's exposed. It's because God never intended for us to run from our enemy. See, Satan knows he can't penetrate the breastplate of righteousness. He knows the sword of the Spirit's going to cut him to pieces. He can't go through the helmet of salvation. So here's what he do. Satan's always looking for Christians who are running when things get tough. Because that's where we're completely exposed, is our backside. That's where, that's where the enemy's always going to hit us the worst, is from the back. The very thing that was sent to kill David was the very thing that God used to promote him. Thank God David didn't turn around and run like every other 
Christian that was there with him in battle. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you my favorite story out of the whole Bible. I have three, okay? This is one of my top three. And listen real close. The reason I'm telling you my favorite is because I want you to use every ounce of energy and mental energy you have to receive this. And I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit reveals this to you because I can't, in my greatest day of communication, I cannot communicate the power behind this story I'm about to tell you. It's impossible. I love it. Um, When I read the Bible, I actually put myself in the Bible with these people. Um, I'm there fighting with them. I'm there feeling what they feel. I can smell the air. I can feel the weather. I can feel the, 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 the cold um, armor on me getting ready to fight. I can feel the intensity. Uh, my adrenaline's pumping when I read stories like this. I'm right there, okay? And of course, this story's about David because I love David so much, okay? It comes from 2 Samuel 5. Okay, let me tell you the story. Um, this evil army called the Jebusites were facing David and the people. The Jebusites lived on a huge hill, almost like a small mountain. And it was a very sophisticated, very modern city for its time. It had huge walls up, like no other walls from any other city in the world at the time. The people behind there were very strong. They were an evil army. David and his men, they had taken over the valley. That's where they were down, down below. But God promised David the land up on that mountain was supposed to be his. But down in the valley, everything was fine. There's no problems in the valley. There's no strife. There's no war. Nothing's changing. Nothing's getting any better. What he wanted was up on the mountain, but it was occupied by the enemy. Fortified city. No way it seemed like to get through that wall. Here David was in the valley, and there's nothing wrong with the valley, but here's the problem. Every time David looked up, he would see the promotion that God wanted him to have. And I think about in life, there's so many times where we just get this quick glimpse of, if I could just be free from this addiction. This quick glimpse of, if I could just bring this to light, get help. Tell my friends about it. Get people to pray for me. We could see, it's like we get this glimpse of the healthy marriage, the job, the ministry, the anointing, the talent, the gift. We see it and we realize it's going to be a very difficult battle. We realize we might have to do something we've never done before. But the valley is where it's safe. The Jebusites, when they were up on the mountain, they knew that David was going to come up there. They knew that something was going to happen at some point at some time. And so every day, these Jebusites would climb their ladders to the top of the wall, and they would look down at all of David's people, and they would say things like this, 2 Samuel 5, 6. They'd say, David, go home. You'll never get in here. Even the blind and crippled can keep you out. Notice the trash talking they did back then. I mean, that was pretty harsh back then. Blind and crippled. Ooh, I'm scared now. Blind and crippled. Anyway, so they would, here's the thing though. There are giants in our life that if we don't defeat them, they'll taunt us forever. If we don't face the Goliaths that God brings to light, at some point, they'll taunt you until the day that you die. The pornography, the anger, the, 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 the not honoring God financially, the, the stinking thinking, Whatever it is, pride, arrogance, whatever. 
So the Jebusites, they knew that David was going to, they knew, everybody knew David. Everybody in the nation knew David was never one to back down from a fight. They knew David will not give up. David will do whatever it takes. And so they would have guards that would go around the walls all through the night. They were ready. They knew the second David came through, David and his men were going to be destroyed. And so how were they going to win? How were they going to fight? How were they going to get in the city? This city was so sophisticated, so modernized, they actually created a sewer system of tunnels from the top of the mountain down through the mountain, down to the bottom. So all of the waste, all of the animal feces, anything nasty, they would just throw it through these gutter tunnels that went all the way down through the mountain. And so I can picture David, and I'm there with him. I'm one of the guys wanting to fight with David. He's a great leader. And I can picture him rounding them all together. He said, guys, tonight's the night we're going to fight. And everybody's like, yeah! Tonight's the night we're going to take over that city that God wants us to have. Yeah! We're going to overcome. Yeah! We're more than conquerors. Yes, we are. Are you with me? Yes, I'm with you. Are you ready to fight? Yes, I'm ready to fight. What are we going to do? Oh, man, we're going to overcome. Yes, we're going to overcome. Okay, guys, here's how we're going to do it in verse 8. To get the Jebusites, let us go up through the gutter tunnels. No! The gutter tunnels? The sewer system? The crap? To get the enemy? We have to climb through the enemy's crap? Yay! So David and his men got on their knees and they crawled through raw sewage in order to surprise the enemy and God gave them the victory. The reason I love David is because he was always willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. David made mistakes, committed adultery, had a man murdered, didn't discipline his children. He got in trouble with God for that, really bad. But when it came, push came to shove, rubber met there, David was always willing to humble himself and do whatever it took to be a conqueror. Isaiah 64, 8 says that the Lord's the potter and we're the clay. And the way it works is this. None of us are the potter. We're not here to change people. We're the clay. Every one of us are here to be molded in the image of Christ. And so God picks us up as this old nasty pile of clay and he starts to form us into his image. And when he feels a lump of unforgiveness, he'll put us in a situation where we have to forgive or somebody offends us. He puts us on his wheel, he tries to get that lump out. If we handle it the wrong way, then he gets another lump and puts us back in the same situation, the same giant. If we pass the test, then he gets that lump out and now he finds a lump of jealousy. And our next door neighbor buys the car that we want to purchase, but we can't. And are we going to be happy for them or are we going to be jealous and talk bad about them? If we're happy for them, we pass the test. We're more into his image until he finds another lump. If we fail the test, he puts us right back there and tries it over again. What I love about this is in Jeremiah 18.4, it says, whenever the clay was marred in the hands of the potter, it's okay. Whenever it was marred in the hands of the potter, the potter would simply start over and would use the same clay. In other words, when we fail the test, when we run from the Goliath, or when the Goliath beats us, God doesn't pick us up and throw us away. He uses the exact same clay and says, I'm going to keep trying until you win. 
years ago, this older couple walked into an antique store. And it was full of antiques all over the place. And the first one they noticed was in the center of the room. It was this teacup. And the wife immediately began to admire its craftsmanship, its beauty, its color. And she picked up the teacup to show her husband. And lo and behold, the teacup began to speak. And it said, you know, I haven't always been this beautiful. I haven't always been this noticed. In fact, there was a time where nobody wanted me. The couple was so curious. They said, well, tell us about that. The teacup said, well, I started off as an old hard lump of clay until one day the potter came along and picked me up. The potter immediately began to roll me and pat me out, and it hurt so bad, and I said, hey, stop it. That hurts. And the potter smiled and just said, not quite yet. Then he put me on this spinning wheel. I was getting so dizzy, I thought I was going to throw up. And I screamed at the potter, get me off of this wheel. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Then he began to form me into this very unique image. And it hurt the way he was pushing on my side. It was very uncomfortable. And I begged him, I said, listen, I don't know what's going on. I don't like this. Get me out of here. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Then he put me in this oven. I had never felt such intense heat in my life. I thought I was going to die. He came walking by the glass and I screamed, I don't like this. I want to get out of here right now. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Then when I thought I couldn't take any more, he finally opened up the oven door, sat me down on a shelf. I thought everything was done. I could go back to my normal life now, go back to the old, until he pulled out a paintbrush and began to paint me. The fumes were awful. I could barely breathe. I was choking to death. I said, why are you doing this? What have I done to you? I'm so uncomfortable. Please, please stop. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Then if you thought the first oven was hot, you should have felt this second oven. This was it. When he put me in here, I knew this was the end of my life. I was a goner. I was going to give up the ghost. I was finished. I was done. I'm never going to see him again, never going to deal with anything else in this world. I was just about to take my last breath, and with it I screamed, please help. And he smiled and said, not quite yet. I passed out initially. I guess while I was unconscious, he opened up the door and sat me down on a shelf. When I finally came to, I opened my eyes very slowly And there was a mirror in front of me. The reflection that I saw was amazing. I could not believe how much I had changed. I was beautiful. The color, the shape, the form. And now, anytime someone comes in this antique store, I'm the first thing that they run to. They'll pick me up just like you did. They'll yell out, hey, how much for this one? And I love to hear the response from the potter when he says, that one belongs to me. It's priceless. You see, the teacup told the older couple, the potter made something amazing out of my life. 
1 Peter 4.12 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which is taking place to test your quality. 